Lord, again, we thank you for this opportunity to be together and to be in your word. And I pray as we look into your word, you would help us understand what you intended and help us to respond as you desire so that you would be greatly glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been studying the book of Colossians, and we've come to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. And uh, Paul writes to Colossians, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive. And we'll see that word speaks of kidnapping and taking something as booty, uh, taking it uh, as profit uh, through uh, a philosophy or empty deception according to uh, the traditions of the world, according to uh, these uh, uh, the, the, the principles of men, the ABCs of, of man's wisdom. And we've been looking at that, and we've been looking at uh, the Apostle Paul sharing the solution to uh, the uh, false teachers and their message, which is a focus on the person of Jesus Christ. And as we're going to this passage, and Colossians 2.8 is what I was going to study today, but I thought we'd take a diversion today and go to the Gospel of Matthew and look at what the Lord Jesus has to say, look at his warning before we come back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to be uh, looking at verses 15 to 21, and we're going to see how we can escape from being destroyed by false teachers. Again, turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. And I'm going to go back a couple verses for context. He says, the Lord Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the the gate is wide and the the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Now today, within this warning, I believe we're going to see the extreme danger that these false prophets and thus, as we will see, false teachers uh, oppose. And also, we're going to see the Lord unmask their deception and reveal that their deeds will make them known, that their deeds will expose them, and that their damnation is sure, and that we thus should heed the warnings. So how are we to keep from being destroyed by false teachers and teaching? First of all, we need to recognize there's a danger. There's a danger out there. Again, we start with verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, before we look at this command here, which it is a command, by the way, by the Lord Jesus, uh, let's take a look at the context. So far in the book of Matthew, King Jesus has been introduced, and the way has been prepared for him by the call through John the Baptist for repentance. And he has called then his disciples to follow him. And then we come to, in this portion here, the teaching of the king, the portion we call the Sermon of the Mount. And it's within this section of chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew 
that King Jesus presents kingdom righteousness which confronts phony righteousness, which is really lawlessness. That's really what the Sermon on the Mount is about. And so here, Jesus is speaking to those who are in spiritual darkness. They thought they were saved, yet they had been willingly misled by the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, as we'll see. And Jesus is unveiling the hypocrisy of the Pharisees' lives and their teaching and that these Jews had bought into it. We see that in this Sermon on the Mount. And so consistently through this Sermon on the Mount, he's unveiled uh, that most of them are not in the kingdom. We'll see that those by showing who some, what someone who truly is in the kingdom looks like. You can spot who's truly saved, uh, by, or you can spot who's not saved by looking at the true thing, the genuine article, as we say. And so the Lord Jesus comes to this point in summary at this point where he says, enter by the narrow gate. Chapter 13, or chapter 5, verse 13. And indeed, Jesus Christ is the gate. He is the one. Chapter uh, 7, verse 13. He is the one. He is the one who we have to enter through for salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to have eternal life apart from faith in Jesus Christ. It is through him alone that we can find salvation from sin. He died for our sins and he rose from the dead. And when we trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, we are saved. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so he has been exposing throughout these chapters, 5 through 7, the false guys, the bad guys, what genuine faith looks like in the light of their faith, which is not faith at all. And then he says, enter through the narrow gate, which is him, which is him. And so with this in mind, uh, he then reveals there are two gates there's a, and there are two roads. Uh, and these two roads have two eternal destinies. One is life and one is destruction. One is narrow and one is broad. And so he calls upon you to make a decision, the most critical of all decisions concerning Christ and his kingdom. And the outcome of this decision affects your eternal destiny whether you'll spend it in torment for your sin or you'll spend it in glory with the Lord Jesus. So he says, enter by the narrow gate. And he's saying that because the road you guys are on, this context, these Jews who had rejected him but had bought into the false teaching was leading to destruction. It was the broad road. It leads to destruction. And so he gives the warning. And so at this point, after saying enter by the narrow gate because the broad road leads to destruction, he then gives warnings to entrance, the things that, that may thwart you from actually entering the narrow gate, those things that would be in the way while you're on the narrow road. You see, when we come to faith, we then walk in the narrow road in a sense. We are, we are on our way to eternity, but we are still being changed and made more like Christ. But there are threats to that. And so right after this portion where he says enter the narrow gate, he gives a warning, and that's what we're looking at in verse 15. He says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. The term beware of here is quite interesting because it has the Greek word pros echo. That means to take heed by turning your attention to. And I understand it. If I'm supposed to watch out for something, I'm going to pay attention to it. Watch out for that, that car out there, you know, or whatever it might be. I'm going to turn and pay attention to it. And then he adds in here a Greek preposition from. He says, turn your attention from, which was translated beware. Turn your attention from the false teachers, the false prophets. Don't look at them. Don't pay attention to them. Beware of them. 
That's really what he's talking about. It's not simply just to be aware, but it's to, it's to turn away. They're around. There are bad guys all around as we see and as we will see. So he's saying, take heed by turning your attention away from. Away from. So with this in mind, it's a warning. It's a command. We are to beware of the false prophets. We are to take heed to turn away from, as Jesus would say here, false prophets. Now we know the term prophetes, prophet, speaks of one who spoke forth. And in a biblical context, there were prophets who spoke for God. Thus saith the Lord. They were sent by God and they were given God's word to speak. And so they would say, thus saith the Lord. And in an Old Testament context, I mentioned this earlier, but we'll look at it a little more in depth right now. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. Actually, let's go to Jeremiah 5 first. Because... At the point of Israel's apostasy before they were taken, or Judah's apostasy before they were taken into exile, they were uh, replete with false prophets. They were everywhere, and they were listening to them. And so God is clarifying, hey, these guys are bad. They don't speak for me. And so we need to look at this. Jeremiah 23. keep saying 23, I'm sorry. Jeremiah 5, verse 30, and then we'll get to 23. Jeremiah 5. Verse 30. As I get all the verses wrong, you get a two or three of your Bible, right? There you go. <laughs> um, Jeremiah 5, verse 30. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule on their own authority. And my people love it so. But what will you do at the end of it? Now let's go to Jeremiah 23. See, there were false prophets, and there will be, and we'll see there will also be false teachers. There's always the false right now along around the true. Jeremiah 23, verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep on saying to those who despise me, thus the, the, the Lord has said, you will have peace. And as, every, and as everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his heart, they say, calamity will not come upon you. Now go up to verse, verse 20. The anger, the anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and carried out the purposes of his heart. In the last days you will clearly understand. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. He's saying, if I sent them, they would have announced my words to turn my people away from their evil sin. And even later on, uh, he talks about uh, the prophet, uh, or actually, let's look at verse 25. I've heard what the prophets have said and prophesied falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood, even those prophets of the deception of their own heart, who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which they relate to one another, just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal? 
The prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters rock? Therefore, behold, I'm against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I'm against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, the Lord declares... Behold, I'm against those who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord, and relate them and lead lead my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them or command them, nor did they furnish the people with the slightest benefit, declares the Lord. They're false prophets all the way through Israel's history. And the Lord Jesus here is saying, beware the false prophets. And we know uh, that... Uh, there are those who do speak for God. We know in the Old Testament that God brought them forth. We know uh, in Second Peter uh, chapter 1 that uh, no prophecy of Scripture is of one's interpretation, but men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. God spoke through them. We know that God, Hebrews chapter 1, spoke in many ways to the fathers, to the prophets, but now he has spoken through his Son. We see in Ephesians chapter 2 that we have been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The foundation's been complete. Now we're being built up in the word of God. We know uh, so clearly uh, that within this, we now are being taught. Yes, there are people who would say they're prophets, but they're false prophets. But now we know that there are false teachers. Peter would say in 2 Peter 2, but false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They had false prophets. When God was declaring through the prophets, he was speaking to his people, and the false ones were doing their thing. And now when those are teaching the word of God, he has those who are his teachers, and yes, there's false teachers that will be among you. And so we need to be aware along with the true there's going to be false we see that we see that indeed throughout scripture we have warnings concerning false teachers and false brethren and false prophets here and later on in matthew we have jesus warning about false prophets we have paul warning the ephesian elders in acts 20 about uh, men who will arise and speak perverted things and, and savage wolves will come from without we have his warning in Romans 16, Galatians 1, Galatians 3, 2 Corinthians 11, Philippians 3, Colossians 2, which we're going to look at next week, Lord willing, Titus 1, 1 Timothy 2, and the Apostle Peter also warns us in, first, in 2 Peter chapters 2 and 3, and we're warned in the book of Jude. We're continually warned of those threats to the truth of God and the God of truth, those who would pervert his word, twist it, lessen it, or whatever it might be. So Jesus says here in our passage, beware of the false prophets. Take heed to turn away from false prophets. And this makes you think, well, why would God allow the false prophets? Why would he allow them? Well, we have one of the reasons in Deuteronomy chapter 13. One of the reasons he allows them, you can turn there, Deuteronomy chapter 13. It's not the complete reasoning, but it's one of the reasons he shares it. He says in Deuteronomy 13, if a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign of wonder comes true concerning what you spoke, says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let them, let us serve them. 
you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams, for the Lord God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul. He's testing you. What do you love? Do you love him? Do you love his word? Or do you love that which is said in his name but is not of him? He's testing you. I certainly see that as one of the reasons. So then, we have this warning. Beware. Turn away from these false prophets. Beware, Jesus says. And they're a threat, first of all, to salvation. They're a threat to those entering because they share a false gospel. They're also a threat to us or we wouldn't have those warnings. They're a threat to us in our relationship with Jesus. As we've seen throughout the book of Colossians, uh, there are those who try to uh, pull our hearts away from the sufficiency of the person of Jesus Christ uh, by his uh, sharing through his word, by his spirit. And there are those who try to pull us away from that. So then we have the Lord Jesus' words here. The Lord Jesus' words. Now we'll talk about uh, sheep's clothing here. He says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. We'll talk about that in a minute, so keep that in the back burner there. But notice, first of all, the Lord Jesus describes their inward nature. And we need to see that. We tend to be very uh, accepting people. We don't want to presume about people, and that's okay. We don't want to do that. We don't want to think badly about people, and that's good. We don't want to do that. But sometimes we can be naive, and we can be taken captive. We can be duped, in a sense. Uh, we saw in Colossians, see to it that we're not uh, persuaded or, or, or taken or, or deluded by persuasive arguments, right? So he says here, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, and we'll see that in a minute, but are inwardly are ravenous wolves. Here, the Lord Jesus shows us what's going on the inside. God sees the inside. We don't see the heart. Man looks at the outside, but God sees the heart. So, so don't presume which, if you know what's going on, but we look at what God says and we understand. He says, inwardly, this is the part you can't see, they are ravenous wolves. The term ravenous speaks of vicious and destructive. Um, it also came to carry another sense, which we don't see in our English translations here, of a swindler or a robber, someone who's violently greedy. They are violently greedy on the inside, these false prophets. They're ravenous. They're like ravenous wolves. You know, wolves would sneak up on the sheep and violently devour them for their own food, right? That's the illustration. That's the metaphor. We know the Apostle Paul, in his final words to the Ephesian elders, he called them from Miletus to Ephesus, and he says, in Acts 20, 20, and I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. They're going to come in and they're going to attack like a wolf attacks a, a herd of sheep or sheep. They are violently destructive for their own gain. You need to see that. That's why we need to see the warning is very, very important. You know, if you're a good parent, you warn your children, watch out for that. that watch out for that dog. That's a mean dog. He'll bite you, right? You know, don't, don't, don't pet that dog, right? You know, you, you, and God cares for us. He says, turn away from these false teachers. They come to you in sheep's clothing. And again, we'll talk about that, but they are inwardly ravenous wolves. He's commanded these non-believing Jews who are on the way to, they're an evil and adulterous generation. He's kind of enter by the narrow gate. He's commanded them. But these ravenous wolves are there to turn them away to destroy them spiritually for their own internal and external gain. 
So then, this is a threat. The Lord is, is, is sharing about this threat. And I ask you today, where is the genuine balanced concern in churches these days? Now, I'm not talking about bandwagon churches that always talk about false teachers all the time, every time, every time you go, it's always false teachers or ministries that are always about them. I'm not talking about an unbalanced view. I'm talking about where are churches that are, that are balanced in warning and sharing the word of God to protect the flock. So then... We are to take heed, we are to turn our attention from false teachers because they are ravenous wolves on the inside. They're, they're like that. They're, they're, they are externally spiritually dangerous to us, but internally they're doing it for this vicious gain. Now the Apostle Paul would even say, hey, you know, i got to remind you again about this stuff because it, it, it's, it's the right thing to do. He would tell the Philippians, finally my brethren, Philippians 3 verse 1, Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, but it is a safeguard to you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. Saying, beware of those, those bad guys. Indeed, in pointing out false teaching, Paul makes it clear to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.6, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Pastors and teachers and elders should be pointing out these things, when they come upon the flock, saying, this is not good, this is bad, don't buy into it. They should be pointing it out. They should be showing you through the Word of God why it's wrong. Have you ever truly grasped the spiritual danger that is associated with those who would pervert, twist, lessen, omit, or, or ignore God's Word? It's very dangerous. Do you see the warnings in Scripture as a safeguard for you? How do you respond to those who would relay these truths to you? We're to turn our attention away from. You know, false teaching, somehow it's got some kind of attraction to us. It does somehow in our flesh, whatever it is, it's deceitful. We're to turn away from it. We're to turn our attention away from it. And now notice as we continue, notice he's going to reveal how we can spot them. How we can spot these false teachers. The first thing he's going to say is they're counterfeits. They come deceptively. Look at this. Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Now, certainly we think of sheep, you know, as the metaphor, as we are his sheep, right? We are his people. That sheep represent those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. There are those who have entered through the door of the sheep, Jesus Christ, John 10. There are those who have believed in Jesus. We are his sheep. We are the sheep of his. Now, certainly that's true. But here, you know, some would say it's just talking about people who claim to be believers. But I think it goes much farther than that. This term sheep's clothing or sheep's garb spoke of the woolen outer garment that shepherds would wear. This is the, the, the garments that shepherds would wear. They come to you portraying themselves as shepherds of the flock. They portray themselves falsely as shepherds. They come to you in shepherd's garb. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They are representing themselves to be shepherds of the flock, spiritually speaking. Beware of the false prophets who make themselves out to be God's shepherds who portray themselves to be shepherds, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. 
We know that the false prophets we saw in Jeremiah 23, they claim to speak for God, but they don't. He says, I did not send these prophets. I didn't send them. If I did, they would have spoke my word and they would have turned my people from their sin. It's a great principle, by the way. Jude, in making every attempt to write to us about our common salvation, says uh, certain people have crept in unnoticed into the church. Those who long beforehand marked out for condemnation, ungodly persons who turned the grace of God into licentiousness. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.13, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. Imposters. We know from 2 Corinthians 11 that there are false apostles disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And it's no wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants do the same. So then they're imposters. They come in sheep's clothing, uh, the shepherd's garb, uh, but they are not who they appear to be. Certainly that was true of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They came as the religious leaders in shepherd's garb in that sense. Yet they were imposters. And the Lord would expose them. He would say, woe to you, Matthew 23, those, those Pharisees, those uh, uh, false uh, shepherds. So then, they're dangerous. Beware. Turn away from them. In contrast, they're like ravenous wolves. Now, why would someone do this? Why do you think someone would do this? Why would someone deliberately deceive uh, God's people? Why would they do that? Why, you know, we think about that. We think, oh, yikes, who, who would have a heart to do that? How would they, what's going on in there? Why would they do that? Well, God's word really reveals the answer. We know from 1 Timothy chapter 4, these people who fall away from the faith pay attention to deceitful spirits by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciences as a branding liar. They got their consciences seared. We know that. We know 1 Timothy chapter 6 talks about men of depraved mind. Actually, let's turn it because this is a, this is a, Pretty clear. First Timothy chapter six. We'll start with verse three. This will show their motivation. First Timothy six verse three. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound wor- with sound words those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, there's the fruit of that, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, listen to this, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. They think that being godly is a means of getting money. It's a means of gaining. Of gaining. We know in Second Peter uh, and Jude very clearly that uh, these hold a form of godliness, but yet they've rejected the truth. We know Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 3, in their greed they will exploit you with false words. We know they have eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing and stable souls, having hearts trained in greed. That's what's going on. Like Balaam, they love the wages of unrighteousness. They've got an internal greed that drives them to deceive the flock. We can't see that, but it's there. 
And it manifests even in a desire to have followers, to have spiritual followers. Acts chapter 20, Paul would say, I know after my departure, verse 29, that savage wolves will come in among you, not spraying the flock, and from your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. They're greedy. They're greedy for the gain, the, the, the fleshly gain through, through women, whatever it might be. They're greedy for the gain of money. They're greedy for the gain of, of being looked up to and seen in a certain way. That's what's going on. These are vile men who appear, and women, to appear on the outside to be shepherds of Christ. They promise freedom in Christ, but they themselves are slaves to sin. See that in 2 Peter. Outwardly, they look like God's shepherds, but inwardly, they're incredibly wicked. So, the Lord Jesus says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, in, but inwardly are ravenous. Well, just say, okay, I recognize that. I want to be aware of it. I, I do. But how can I spot them? I can't see the insides. I can't see their greed. I can't see that. How do I spot them? Well, Jesus reveals that their deeds will make them known. Verse 17 or 16, back in Matthew chapter 7. I said Matthew 5 a lot earlier. It's Matthew 7, by the way. Matthew 7, verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Jesus just says, this is the way it is. He says you'll know them by their fruits, verse 16, and he repeats that. He repeats that in verse 20. So then you will know them by their fruits. He gives the illustration. And this term know, epinosis, speaks of a full true knowledge. You'll get it. You'll get it. You'll know them by their fruits. Their fruit will reveal who they really are. You'll know it. You'll know it. And if you're on guard, then you are to turn away from them. To turn away from them. And so he gives this illustration. He says, Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, are they? When's the last time you went to go get fruit from a thorn bush? It's not going to happen, right? You, you look at that, it's not, that's not, that's not a grape, a grape bush, right? I say a grape tree. It's not a grape bush, right? Or a vine. And he says, Nor are figs gathered from thistles, are they? The term thistle, or thornbushes spoke of prickly weeds. Thistle spoke of a three-pronged deal that was really painful. The implication is these false teachers are like that. They are thorny weeds. They are pricking uh, thistles. They're pricking prickly briars. So he gives this principle that one's fruit will reflect one's true nature. One's fruit will reflect one's true nature. We have the analogy from his creation. Good trees bear good fruit, bad trees bear bad fruit. He Then he gives the absolute reality that you can bank on and will enable you to spot them. A good tree cannot, verse 18, produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. It is impossible for a good tree to produce bad fruit and for a bad tree to produce good fruit. The fruit depends upon the true nature of the tree. The true nature of the tree. You see, all throughout Scripture we see this principle that not only applies to prophets, false prophets, but to false believers. Indeed, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has already made it clear that those who are truly of his kingdom will manifest the nature of the king. He's made that clear. 
Blessed are those. Blessed are those. Blessed are those. Those are true kingdom citizens. They're going to manifest the nature of the king. Now, this idea of fruit bearing is not uh, hard to understand. But let's take a look at a passage that's really helpful for us. John 15. John 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. That's an example, right? But it's speaking of believers, you know, and then those who may claim to be but aren't. He says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. It's resting in Jesus, trusting in Jesus. Uh, That's the only way to bear fruit, as we'll see, is to trust in the Lord Jesus, to rely on him completely. We saw this last week. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You received him by total faith. You didn't doubt at all. When you actually got saved, you actually believed that he was God and he would save you. You believe that. In the same way, we walk day to day by faith, and that will produce fruit in us. He says here, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The implication is whoever you are, if it's God's shepherds, if they abide in Jesus, they're going to produce fruit. Uh, if it's it, each and every one of us, if we abide in Jesus, we're going to produce fruit. There's going to be the nature of our Savior manifest. Not perfectly. Not perfectly. We know that. We trip up. We mess up. We know that. We know that oh so well more than anyone else, right? But by and large, we should be producing good fruit. Now, Jesus shares this parallel teaching in Luke chapter 6. Turn there also. Because it helps us explain what this fruit really is. What this fruit really is. Luke chapter 6, verse 42. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the log out of your eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Verse 43, for there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit. Luke 6:44, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, do they pick grapes from a briar bush? The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, I will show you whom he is like. And he gives the example of the one who builds his house you know, on the rock versus the sand. He's talking about the fruit of this are people who hear his word and do it. That's the good fruit. They hear the word of God and do it. God's word equips us for every good work. It addresses everything for life and godliness. And when God is working in us through his word, it's going to produce good fruit. It's going to produce good fruit. You see, good fruit is manifest in the true believer when he abides in Christ and obeys his word. Let me share a couple passages. Galatians 5.22, we see the deeds of the flesh are evident, but the fruit of the Spirit is, right? 
that fruit that's manifest of, of the Spirit of God working in us. In Ephesians 5, we're to be walking as children of light, and the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, the fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, and we've seen this, when we allow God's Word to fill us in a sense, when we are controlled by the full knowledge of His will. Think about that. In every circumstance, if God's Word and His will is controlling my thinking, I'm going to act differently. It's not perfectly, but that's, that's what we desire to do. And if that happens, one of the evidences will be bearing fruit in every good work. Colossians 1.10 We've been created for good works that we would walk in them, Ephesians 2. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. He's saying you can spot the false shepherds by their fruit. And the same goes for believers, but he's not saying warning, go out and expect everyone's life. He's not saying that. He's just talking about false teachers, false apostles, or false prophets, as he says here. Now, we need to remember that sometimes fruit, good or bad, takes time to come. Sometimes that fruit doesn't show up for a while. If you're a true believer, you're going to have good fruit. It may be slow to come, but it's, it's going to come. And these false teachers, their bad fruit may not show up right away, but it will show up. It'll show up. Galatians 5.19, again, the deeds of the flesh are evident. That's fruit. It's fruit, as we'll say. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, we see uh, the reality that uh, we were darkness, we're to walk in the light. And, and the fruit of the light is, is, is not evil and sin. So with this in mind, uh, let's take a look at some of the bad fruit Scripture reveals that we can spot in the false teachers. Turn to, turn to um, Matthew chapter 6, just back a little bit. These are things you can spot in false teachers. Bad fruit that you can go, whoa, that's, that's bad. Turn away, turn away. We see this in the Sermon on the Mount, that the hypocrites practice their religion to be seen by man. That's bad fruit. That's bad fruit. Matthew 6, beware of practicing your righteousness to be noticed by them. By them. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be honored by men. Down to verse 5. And when you pray, uh, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. That was verse 5 of Matthew 6. Paul would say in Galatians chapter 1, if I wanted the approval of men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. It is antithetical to serving Christ, to want people to elevate you up. When you see that, that is bad fruit, turn away from it. When you see it, it bothers me. I see people with these websites, some ministries, there are pictures everywhere and everywhere. I don't know their hearts, but Christ should be exalted. We need to be careful who gets the glory, who is exalted. We see this, a lot of slick, showy sermons rather than the preaching of, of the Word of God. If we share, we're, we're to speak, we're to speak the very oracles of God. First Peter 4.11, we're to preach the Word in season and out of season. That's the right kind of fruit, by the way. It's, but these guys are disobedient. 
they try to please men all by all the same time saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this? You can spot them also because they share their own worldly wisdom rather than God's word. God's word exposes that. They're continually disobedient in not sharing the word of God. That's fruit. Remember Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? If a shepherd is told by the Lord Jesus to preach the word in season, is told to reprove and rebuke and exhort, is told to share the word of God, is told to do so, and doesn't do so, that is fruit. That is fruit. Jeremiah 23, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil ways and the evil of their deeds. Ezekiel 34 talks about those shepherds, woe to them who feed themselves and do not feed the flock. Should not the shepherds be feeding the flock? That's the word of God. That's the word of God. The reality is, you can spot them by their fruit. Their deeds are going to reveal it. Their actions are going to show you whether they're obedient to the Lord or not. They're going to show you their deeds. But also, we're going to see that their words do so too. They are clouds without water. They they don't reprove and rebuke and exhort. They don't address sin. You'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. They're bad trees, therefore they produce bad fruit. Their deeds in ministry reveal they are disobedient to the Lord. Now, how much do they say they love Jesus? Are they obeying the Lord and how he's called them to do? When they, when they say, Lord, Lord, but they also say other things. They introduce destructive heresies. Second Peter chapter 2. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. There's more fruit. They're, you're going to see it in their words also, besides their deeds, in their words. Look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 talks about the bad guys and how they distort the passages that are hard to understand. 2 Peter 3.15, In regard to patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, and also in all his letters, speaking of things which some which are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on guard, lest being carried away by the air of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. They twist the word of God. They distort it. They lessen it. Worthless shepherds don't feed the flock. Worthless shepherds twist the word of God. Worthless shepherds exploit you with false words in their greed. You can know them and see them by their fruit. By their fruit. What does Paul tell Titus about those who are teaching things they should not teach? He tells them to silence them. Titus chapter 1, verse 10, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of circumcision, who must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for sort of gain. You can spot that. Verse 16, they profess to know God, but they, by their deeds, they deny him. You can see it. By their deeds. They say they know the Lord, but their deeds reveal they are disobedient in bringing forth the word of God, and they are evil in twisting, lessening, or fabricating the word of God. 
This term in 1 Peter 2, they'll exploit you is the word plastos. They, 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 they mold things like, we get our word plastic. They mold the words to exploit you. They turn the grace of God into licentiousness. As we'll see next week, Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, empty deception according to the tradition of man, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. They'll speak perverse things. And I could just go on and on and on. There's all kinds of examples in Scripture. So what the Lord is saying, you can spot them. You can spot them. They are bad trees that produce bad fruit. It's that simple. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. And there's also, you can also, there's one last area you can spot them in, and that's their converts. The fruit of ministry of false prophets is false converts. We see this in, uh, in Matthew. Uh, if you look at, again, Matthew, first, Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, so then you'll know them by their fruits, and then notice the next word. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we cast out demons, perform many miracles in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Same thing in Luke chapter 6, where he talks about the tree will be known by its own fruit. And then he immediately says, he says, And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, I will show you what he is like. So again, these false teachers have a bunch of converts that don't obey Christ. They don't obey the word of God. That's the fruit. Lastly, notice these bad guys are destined for eternal fire. Look at verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's an illustration. We saw this illustration earlier uh, in Matthew chapter 3. Let's turn there one last passage to turn to Matthew chapter 3. And this is what uh, John the Baptist said to the Pharisees when he saw him coming. That's what he said to them. Matthew 3, verse 7. But when he, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you God, that God is able to raise these stones to raise up children to Abraham. It's basically saying, don't say that that does it for you, that that does it for you. You have Abraham. He says, the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Every tree that does not bear good fruit. He's talking about people. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winning fork is in his hand. He will thoroughly cut, excuse me, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The bad guys are going to be thrown into the fire. We see that in Second Peter. There's uh, very clearly. Uh, destruction ahead of them. 
is prepared for them. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Every tree. Every tree. So let me ask you this. Do you bear good or bad fruit? Yes, we all mess up. If we say we have no sin, we're liars. But by and large, have see, if you are of Christ, you're going to bear fruit sometime. When you abide in him, his character is going to be manifest. Is it manifest in your life? You're bearing good fruit. And if you are bearing bad fruit continually, habitually, all the time, maybe that's an, maybe the Lord's trying to tell you something where you stand. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? So then, to finish up, verse 20, he says, So then you will know them by their fruits. Today we've seen that Jesus warns us of the dangers of entrance into his kingdom and the dangers for those on the narrow road. We are to take heed to turn from that and we can spot them by their fruit. By their fruit. Let me ask you today, are you in a church where the pastor's fruit stinks? Where he doesn't preach the word, where he substitutes stories, theology, and his own wisdom for the word of God? where he doesn't rightly reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction, where he doesn't address sin, where there's rampant disobedience in the church, that's bad fruit. It's bad fruit. They may say they love Jesus, but and of course he wants to evangelize, but that's a fake, phony shepherd suit. It's a fake, phony suit. Are you in a church where the pastor has introduced destructive heresies, such as the shack and purpose-driven life, things like that? That's fruit. That's fruit. It's bad fruit. We need to turn away. Okay, so how does this apply to us? Obviously, we need to heed the warning. Secondly, if you claim to know Jesus and you have no fruit, zero fruit, there's never been the manifestation of Christ in your life ever. It's never been manifest, and I would ask you to examine yourselves. To see if you're in the faith. You'll know a tree by its fruit. True repentance and faith in Christ will manifest in a changed life. And shepherds especially will be obeying the Lord. And you can spot it. You can spot it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word and thank you for the warnings. And Lord, if we didn't need the warning, you wouldn't have given it to us. So I pray we would take heed that we would guard ourselves from uh, those things. We would turn away from them, whether it's on TV or whether it's online, Lord God, or whether it's in a magazine or on the radio, Lord God, or it's at the church. We turn away from that. Father, you said we can know them through your son. We said we can know them by their fruits. And Father, also I just pray that we would do some self-examination, that we would examine whether you have truly manifest, borne fruit in our lives or not. I pray for anyone who realizes they've never truly had any genuine fruit of a relationship with Christ, that they would turn and believe. Pray for that. And Lord, that we would heed these warnings, that we would see to it that no one takes us as spiritual booty, as captive through these false things, rather than according to Christ.
We pray you would have your way. We would obey you, Lord God, and that you would be manifest in our lives. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.